and welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you to live your life well. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can jump on our website at differentlight.com.au and click the connect button. Or could we encourage you to also support our work by clicking on the giving button. Thanks so much for listening. Let's um, read from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Good. I think we'll have those verses come up. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Well, that's quite a reaction to the refusal of an invitation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so the king was furious, blah, blah, blah. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. Note that phrase. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Think of Steve um, in Kenya. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here with our wedding clothes? But the man had no reply, or some translations say he was speechless. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wow, okay. So that seems like a pretty extreme kind of response to not having the right clothing on as well, right? I didn't meet with that kind of end in Kenya. They were gracious enough to let me continue to, to speak. We'll get into some of those challenging uh, verses there or thoughts there. There's some really big issues contained in this little story here that Jesus tells that Andy explained so well um, last week we call parables. Uh, we have themes of judgment in there. Well, that's an uncomfortable kind of concept. We have themes related to a, a switch or a, a changeover in, in spiritual power and authority. We have this battle between Jesus and the religious leaders. Well, that's, that's a pretty big and important theme. We have allusions to um, the history of salvation, the way that God was working with the nation of Israel and the way that they rejected him, even to the point of rejecting his son and killing his son. And there's some very big themes in there as well. Uh, just sometimes the language is a little bit challenging, so let me summarise and we'll see if that kind of just helps it to sink in a little bit more. And I think one of the great points that Andy made was that Jesus 
told parables, which are a specific sort of story, and those stories help us to remember some of the teachings of Jesus. And, of course, that's the intended case here. So a king throws a wedding feast of his son. Guests are invited, but they refuse to come. The king sends more servants to tell them again that the feast is ready, but they still refuse, and some even insult and kill his messengers. The king is furious, he mobilizes his army, and he kills the refusing guests and destroys their town. Then the king tells his servants to go into the streets to gather whoever is around, both good and bad, to come to the feast, and then the banquet hall is filled. The king comes to greet the guests and notices that one of the guests isn't dressed appropriately. He's tied up and he's thrown out of the feast. Presumably he's tied up so he can't get back inside. Now, here's something that's really important and here's something that will help us to read the Bible and read the Bible well and get the best understanding of what it is Jesus is trying to say sometimes. This parable must be linked to the preceding parables. If you take this parable in isolation and you don't read the two parables that come before it, you will not get the fullness of what Jesus is trying to say, the lessons that he's teaching. So, the two parables beforehand are these. The first is the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21 verses 28 to 32. A man, I'll just summarize, then I'll read a couple of verses. A man has two sons and he asks them both to go out into their family farm, specifically into the vineyards to work. The first son says no, but actually goes to work in the vineyard. The second son says yes, but actually doesn't follow through on what he says he's going to do. So Jesus will pick up now the the parable itself, the ending of the parable, Matthew 21, verses 31 to 32. Jesus is speaking. Which of the two obeyed his father, they replied. Who is they? It's the religious leaders who Jesus is speaking to. They say the first. That's the one who, though he said, no, I'm not going to do that, he actually does it, right? He actually ultimately has a change of mind, a change of heart, and he does what he knows he should do. So which of them actually obeyed? The first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Whoa. (laughs) He's speaking to the religious leaders who well and truly think that they are the arbiters and regulators of what the spiritual life of the nation looks like. And they well and truly think that if anyone is going to get into the kingdom of heaven, it's them, right? So this is like, whoa, this is a confronting moment. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. So the sinners will get into the kingdom of heaven before the religious leaders. And that wasn't the message that they liked. 
The next parable that we need to consider as we evaluate um, 22 verses 1 to 14 is the parable of the evil farmers. This is Matthew 21 verses 33 to 46. So a summary again. A landover plants a vineyard and he puts in place all of the necessary infrastructure to produce wine. And then he lets out the land and all of the infrastructure to some other farmers. So he sends one group of, farm, of, uh, of his servants to collect his share of what he's owed. It's his property, it's his infrastructure, his grapes. And what happens? The people who are farming the land, they actually kill his servants. So, oh, okay. Well, he has quite a bit of patience because he actually sends some more servants... And what happens? Exactly the same thing happens. Then the landowner thinks to himself, do you know what, I'm still going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they think that these aren't really my people. Maybe it's easy for them to disrespect these servants because, you know, it's not me or one of my household representatives. So what does he do? He sends his son. And he thinks, surely they will respect my son. But what do they do? They actually kill the son and they have some ridiculous thought in their head that if they kill the son, maybe they can seize the assets and the assets will become theirs, which of course is totally illogical, which is part of the point. Jesus asks the religious leaders what they think the landowner will do to the people who killed his servants and killed his son. The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and he will lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Whoa. <laughs> There's another massive blow to them. Again, these people who think that it is their right to dictate what the spiritual temperature of the nation of Israel looks like. It's their right to be able to decide who is in the kingdom, who is out of the kingdom, and certainly they're in. Jesus says to them, this is going to be taken away from you. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces. It will crush anyone who falls on it. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. Duh. Like it, it really took them some time, right? That's how self-righteous they were. That, that's how content they were in their own bubble, their own world of power. They were oblivious for so long to the fact that they were actually right at the centre of some of the lessons that Jesus was giving. They realised he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds 
who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from the religious leaders who killed the son and will be given to other people or other nations. Some points and then a few lessons. Note that the chapter and verse numbers, they are insertions and they don't actually help us to see the continuity of Jesus' thought here. And a little lesson for all of us. When you're reading the Bible, if you pluck one verse or even a group of verses out, or if, if you just stick yourself to the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, you could actually miss some important information that will give you some clues as to the whole picture of what Jesus is saying. So I would encourage you, when you read the Bible, read some of the verses either side of what it is Jesus is saying or whatever the passage of the Bible is because you are then more likely to get the full context and the context is important, right? So look at the full context to get the real guts of what it is Jesus is trying to say. Notice the common themes of these three parables. They are arranged in this order for a very good reason. There's not randomness to it. We have landowners and farmers. We have the legitimacy of authority being exercised by different parties in the stories. Jesus often taught a group of parables on the same theme to really ram home his point. Now, one of the most famous examples that I can give is Luke chapter 15. What do we have? We have the, uh, the lost sheep, we have the lost coin, and then we have the lost son, right? Three parables all in a row, interestingly, again, actually directed at the religious leaders who had no regard for the lost because they were only interested in the fact that they thought they were found, and so we get to that third parable there. Actually, it's not just one son, is it? It's two sons. And the second son is just as important as the first because the second son is demonstrating the attitude of the religious leaders who can't even celebrate when his lost, broken brother comes home. So that's common for Jesus to group themes together with parables. The audience to these parables is a group of priests and Pharisees, and the lessons are directed plainly and uncomfortably at them. When you read a parable, when you read a passage of the Bible, ask yourself the question, who is the audience here? Who is Jesus speaking to, or, or who is Paul speaking to here? What are the circumstances that are being spoken into? So the, the religious leaders have Jesus in their sights, and what really surprises them is that Jesus has them in his sights. Okay, there's like this, it, it flips on them, it turns on them. They think that they are the ones in control. But as Jesus says more, and as Jesus exposes more, of who they are and who he is, it totally flips around. Totally flips around. 
They are questioning Jesus' authority to do the things that he is doing and they realize that Jesus is questioning their authority to do the things that they do. And this isn't just a flashpoint in the relationship between Jesus and the various groups of religious leaders. This is a point of no return. This is a point of no return. They are plotting to kill him, to get rid of him. Let's get in onto some lessons here. Maybe a few specific tricky things. So yeah, there, there seems to be some pretty extreme language in this parable. Please listen to me carefully here. And I think Andy covered this last week. It is a parable, right? It's, it's not historical narrative. So when we see the, this extreme language like the king deciding that's because people refused the invitation to come to the party, him going and killing people and destroying their town, the language is hyperbolic. It is exaggerated intentionally to make a point to us. Here's what we need to be careful not to do. We must not get caught up on the details because the details are just illustrating a certain point. So don't go away from here thinking, oh, well, this and this. No, no, you've missed the point. What is the big point that's being illustrated by the dramatic and the extreme language? It's a parable. It is not narrative. And when we tell stories, we exaggerate, don't we? And we exaggerate for the sake of making our point more strongly. And we don't anticipate, you know, if some of you are fishermen and every fisherman catches a fish that was bigger than it really was, right? And they're not expecting you to actually say, look, can you please provide me with the measurements of that fish? Because, you know, you said that it's this big, but I'm suspecting it's probably this big. We don't do that. We just know that they're probably exaggerating. Uh, we, just, we just know that that's the reality. And, and the same here, this exaggerated language is being used to draw us in to the points that are being made. Verse 14, and then the points I want to make, says, Many are called, but few are chosen. It's a little bit of a complicated verse there. What does that mean? found a great quote from D.A. Carson, a Bible commentator in the Expositor's Bible Commentary. This is what he says. Many are invited, but some refuse to come. And others who do come refuse to submit to the norms of the kingdom and therefore are rejected. Those who remain are called chosen. Let me read that again because this is important. Many are invited, but some refuse to come. And others who do come refuse to submit to the norms of the kingdom and are therefore rejected. Those who remain are called chosen. We are here today because an invitation was extended to us by our gracious and our loving God. And that invitation is graciously and lovingly 
extended to everybody. And not just those of us who are sitting here, that invitation is for everyone in Wollongong and the Illawarra and beyond. The invitation is there, right? But the reality is the kingdom has certain norms and those kingdom principles, those, if you like, boundaries around entrance to the kingdom, they are spelled out for us very clearly so that we are without excuse and we keep finding ourselves in a place of grace. We keep finding ourselves, even though we mess up, even though our, our faith journey is two steps forward, one step back, even though the journey is, is sometimes very complicated, it's circuitous even sometimes, even though we find ourselves on these very irregular journeys, when there is a heart that is extended toward God, the invitation remains and we continue to encounter his grace and he continues to make room for us and there is a seat for us at the table and he says come and sit at my table I want you in that ultimate banquet when we are in the kingdom of heaven together I want you seated at that table I want to be able to look into your eyes I'm speaking metaphorically now but I want you there the invitation is extended to you come in come in but you need to have the right clothes on you need to have the right clothes on couple of quick points. Religion does not get us into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, religion excludes us from the kingdom. I'm sure most people who are sitting here today are people who have been following Jesus for a very long time. And that's really, really exciting. As long as your faith life continues to be just that, a life, something that is living. What can happen is we can follow for a long time and we can become complacent. We can take advantage of the grace of God. We, we can find ourselves even sometimes in a place of self-righteousness. We can sometimes find ourselves living in some sort of Christian bubble whereby we find ourselves losing track of this wonderful grace that has saved us from sin and brought us to this place of life and forgiveness and future hope. So those of us even who are in the kingdom, those of us who have a confidence that we are walking with God, we can accidentally find ourselves in places where we forget the grace that invited us in in the first place. And God, help us if we find ourselves in that place. And those of us who have been following Christ for a long time, let's be very careful not to take advantage of the grace of God. And let's be very careful not to reduce our faith life to following rules and regulations and thinking because we're following rules and regulations, that means we are in and then tragically, the flip side of that, others are out and we become exclusive, we become self-righteous, we become judgmental. Let's not, let, let's, 
let's do our best to not become religious and to stay in that place of loving grace. We enter God's kingdom through a gracious and loving invitation. We can't earn our way in. Humility and gratitude are key. And with that invitation that is extended to us, we have the privilege of extending that invitation to others. And there's a great challenge for us as we step into the new year. Will you be the person who extends that loving and gracious invitation on behalf of our loving and gracious God to others around you? I pray so. And the invitation is extended to everyone. That's my final point. It says the good and the bad alike. (laughs) That messes with me a bit. But actually that's the point, right? Jesus came to save sinners. So it's not just the good who get to come in. God, give me a break. And we actually know from all of the other stuff that Jesus tells us, if it was a matter of the good coming in, then it's going to be a wedding banquet, the most boring wedding banquet ever, because there's not going to be anyone there. Right? There's not going to be anyone there. No one would come in. I don't know how you see yourself, what you think of yourself this morning, whether you think of yourself as a, good person or a bad person I, I, I don't know that that's up to you to wrestle that through but I want to say something plainly to you no matter how it is you view yourself or see yourself you are welcome to come in you are welcome to come in and then what the next part of the journey looks like that's something you need to work through with God that's something you need to work through with his word An important point here. Uh, An invitation of grace is not the abolition of standards of entry, right? (laughs) So it's an invitation of grace that allows us to come in. But then God says to us, hey, this is what the kingdom looks like. Uh, If you're going to be part of the kingdom, this is descriptive of your thoughts, of, of your actions, are you forgiving? Are, are, are you loving? Are, are you a kind person? And so on and so on. Do, do, you, do you regulate your interactions with other people or, or are you still somehow thinking that you can be the master of your own destiny even though you're in the kingdom and in the kingdom there's one king and that's Jesus, right? An invitation of grace is not the abolition of all standards of entry. We enter the kingdom on God's terms. Thank you for listening to the Lighthouse Podcast. We hope this message brings inspiration and encouragement to your day. If you want to check out any of our other podcasts or the work that we do or when and where we gather, jump on our website at differentlight.com.au. Catch you later.